0: excited for those that don't know my name is Scott. I'm excited about what God has been doing here at Central Assembly of God. This last week we uh, hosted 62 youth students on Wednesday night. Come on. I know that was a a huge deal for, for Ed and the team. We have such faithful volunteers in that area, and I would just like to take a moment for us just to show some appreciation to our youth leaders. They're doing it all on volunteer. Come on. They're not doing it because they have to or because they get paid to or out of duty or obligation, but they're doing it out of sheer love for the next generation, and we appreciate them so much. Uh, They poured their heart and soul and maybe left uh, their heart and soul in a dunk tank on Wednesday night as it was like 50 degrees. I I don't know whose brilliant idea was that? (laughs) They tried with everything in them to get me to go in. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, it was just an incredible night. We saw a whole lot of new faces on Wednesday night, and that's what this is about. We're, we we want to see uh, the next generation impacted with the gospel. And if it's if if it just takes something as simple as as giving some stuff away, let's give some stuff away. Like if it takes something as simple as as as, as throwing a night where we can have a barbecue and a whole lot of fun, let's 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 do so. But let's invest in the next generation. We got a chance to invite them all to come back to church this next Wednesday night. We got a chance to invite them all to come and be a part of youth convention, which is coming up at the end of October. And, and we just had an awesome opportunity to be able to invest in some students that we might not have otherwise gotten to meet by simply just allowing ourselves to be used, um, but also being generous because of the generosity of this church and this body of believers, we're able to easily make that decision to say, yeah, let's, let's do this night uh, where the youth students can come and have fun and invite their friends and we can be able to just get the opportunity to make an impact in their lives. So once again, I get up here every week and I say thank you for your generosity. It's because of the generosity of each and every one of you, giving week in and week out that we can continue to reach our community. But also know this, Giving isn't just about what this church can do, but it's also an opportunity for you to engage with God. Believe it or not, giving is an act of worship. It's more about you than it is about God because it's us posturing ourselves and understanding who our provider is, who our source is, and that because we're investing in his kingdom and we're being faithful with what he's put in our hands to steward, he in, pour, he in turn pours out in our lives. And like Malachi says in chapter three, it even goes on to say, like, there are, there's a protection that comes with that that we don't even understand what he has not only provided, but how he's protected us as a result of our giving. So thank you for your continued generosity, but also just keep in mind that giving is an act of worship. And it's more about who we are and our character and our relationship with him than it is about him because he doesn't need it, which is awesome because he is our provider and our source in the first place. That being said, um, I want to go ahead and continue to jump uh, into our, our continue with our series here on Nehemiah. Last week, we took a little bit of a break from our series on Nehemiah as Pastor John Davis was here for an installation service uh, for my wife Heidi and I, uh, which was an honor to be able to sit and and have Pastor John preach. But I'm excited to get back into the Word of God as we've laid it out for this fall. uh, uh, Two weeks ago, I started with Nehemiah chapter 1. And one of the reasons you're going to see... frequently we do sermon series in this way where I will just take a book of the Bible and we're going to go through the whole book of the Bible is because I believe that the entirety of the Word of God matters. I believe that context matters and I believe that we should be able to take the whole thing in together and be able to learn from it uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter um, and that we should also be able to take the whole concept and be able to be encouraged by that because In the book of Nehemiah, there's this ongoing concept that is reinforced time and time and time again. But also, I believe that it's important for each and every one of us to have a devotional life. And I think as we go through a chapter or a book of the Bible together like this, it will help you understand what it looks like to read the Bible and that you can gain understanding from it as you take and read it in your own quiet time as you engage with God on your own outside of Sunday mornings. I hope that everybody's been reading along in the book of Nehemiah because you never know if the pastor's lying to you or not. (laughs) If that's what it takes to get you in your Bible, I will try to bait you every way that I can. And I'm not even going to apologize for it because I believe that everybody should be open in the word of God and engaging on their own, and growing on their own. So if it takes me baiting you into it by, one of these days I'm going to have to actually lie to you just to see if you catch me. <laughs> hey, let's, let's go into Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And it reads like this. In the month of Nisan. Anybody drive a Pathfinder to church this morning? In the 20th year of King's Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. You might wonder why he was afraid. Well, it would have been proper etiquette in the presence of the king to show up as anything other than jovial and excited. He literally could have been dismissed from his duty at that point in time, uh, which would have meant some greater consequences in his life because oftentimes kings at that point in time, when somebody upset him, they just killed him. Or threw them in prison. So literally showing sadness in the presence of the king would have been against etiquette in a way that was punishable. Man, we thought 2020 was tough. And I said let, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Real interesting side note here: the fact that Nehemiah would have talked about the grave sites of his fathers would have meant that Nehemiah was in a place of honor within his people, and he was using that as a place to relate to the king, the, the, the king of Persia at this point in time. Then the king said to me, "What are you requesting?" So I so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house of the that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. For the good of my ha- for the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's pray. God, I thank you that the good hand of our God is upon us. I don't know if we fully grasp the depth of that statement. God, we thank you that your good hand is upon us. God, in a week where I know many in the room have been weighed down by heaviness, in a week that may have been more stressful and painful than we thought we could endure. We can gather together on Sunday and we can thank you that the good hand of our God is upon us. So right now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place. That you would remove the weights of From our shoulders. That you would breathe fresh life into our soul. And that we would grow closer to you as we listen to the words of God, the Holy Spirit. And we continue to press forward in what you have for us. Not forgetting the past, not even forgetting the pain, but, God, to give it purpose, to build your kingdom as we read through the book of Nehemiah. So Holy Spirit, move in this place in the name of Jesus. God, may your words be spoken and not mine. God, may your word be received and not mine. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I want to start where I left off two weeks ago, right? Because it all works together. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah precedes chapter 2 of Nehemiah. We're going to pick up in chapter 2 where week 1 left off because it's important that we understand the overall concept that we're going to get through in the book of Nehemiah. Because I believe that God is doing something in this place. I believe that God is doing something in this house. I believe that God wants to do something in this community and the surrounding region. But I think that God has to make sure that we are properly prepared for what he has, not just for this church, but for this community. Because as it sits right now, we're not ready. We're not ready. And... And and I believe that God has so much more in store for us, but we have to get to a place where we're properly prepared, where we can do what God has called us to do in building his kingdom in this community and in this region. Because I believe that the Spirit of God wants to pour out like never before, but if the Spirit of God poured out right now, we'd be incapable of being able to keep up with what God is doing. We'd also be ill fit to endure the battles that are coming, as we're going to get into some of that stuff as Nehemiah begins to build and rebuild the city of Judah. But two weeks ago, I left you off. I left y'all with this, with these two thoughts, and it's going to be constant for this entire book as we go through what God is saying in Nehemiah, and it's that this. It's or it's this, as we go through the book of Nehemiah. If you don't learn this, if you don't get this, I don't know how else to say it to you, but it's going to get repeated often. So hopefully, by the time we get through a few more chapters of this, I'm not going to have to say it, but maybe you can, right? (laughs) Those who truly love God, right? The people who truly love God, they love his word enough to know it, and they love his kingdom enough to do their part in building it. I'm going to keep reiterating it as we go through the book of Nehemiah. Those who truly love God, love his word enough to know it, and they love his kingdom enough to do their part in building it. Because that's exactly what Nehemiah did, starting in chapter 1, continuing in chapter 2, and it's going to keep going through chapters three, four, five, six, all the way to the end of this book. So week in and week out, let's go ahead and just take that note and write it in our notes each and every week if we have to and remind ourselves of it. That those who love God, who truly love Him, love His Word and love His kingdom enough to do their part in building it. Secondly, prayer must be our response. It's got to be our first response and not our last resort. Even in chapter 2, we're going to get into Nehemiah included prayer in a part of his address to the king. So, our first point today is prayer precedes action. We spent all of chapter 1 talking about a prayer that Nehemiah had prayed as a result of bad news that he'd received. Prayer precedes action. Notice I didn't say Prayer replaces action, though. Because I think for far too often in the Christian faith, in followers of Jesus, oftentimes we've used prayer as our excuse to be inactive. Yeah. Well, I might just sit back and pray about this for a while, and then eventually God will do something about it because it's his responsibility. And our prayers become empty and meaningless, and then they actually lose the place where we hear from God. See, prayer is a dialogue and not a monologue. It's not just my to-do list, my to-pray list. I'm going to give you this checklist of all these needs in my life, God. I've done my time. Now I'm going to go ahead and live my life. But prayer precedes action. It doesn't Replace action. And for far too often, in our, or far too many times in our faith, we've allowed prayer to just be something we passively do while we excuse active kingdom building in our lives. Nehemiah got some bad news in chapter one. And he took time to seek God to seek God's wisdom, to seek God's counsel, to repent. But ultimately, his prayer resulted in him taking responsibility. Because clearly nobody else, well, one other person, Ezra, if you read the book of Ezra, it's before Nehemiah, also was active in this time. But, In that period of time, in that place, nobody else received that news and responded the same way that Nehemiah did. Prayer is active, but it should also move us towards action. Action is required because faith is not a passive exercise. Faith is an assertive exercise. There's a difference between being passive to being aggressive some of us, because we're northern Midwesterners, are just passive-aggressive. <laughs> All the ones in the room that laughed, you're the ones that aren't. <laughs> but prayer is assertive. It takes understanding both what the needs are around us, but also what God is doing in response to it and what God is saying in response to it, and then knowing when to act based on what God has said. So if we're not hearing from God, it means we're not listening enough to what God is saying. For some of us, we've been praying for the same breakthrough over and over and over again in our lives. we keep running into this same obstacle but we haven't figured out what to do with that obstacle but the whole time we've been trying to avoid this obstacle and pray that God would do something about it and what we don't understand is is that our breakthrough is actually on the other side of that obstacle and God is calling us to move towards said obstacle now you might be going Scott Pastor Scott where, where, where are you finding that what is your basis for a statement like that? Because I'd rather avoid danger, or I'd rather avoid a tough time, or I'd rather not deal with a tough circumstance. Wouldn't we all? But here's life, and we find them right in front of us. Facts if we didn't have tough times, if we didn't have bad news from time to time, if we didn't have struggles, we also wouldn't have miracles and breakthroughs. And oftentimes we would live our lives like we often do, as if we don't need God. And I think sometimes those obstacles are there just to remind us of just how much we need God and we rely on Him. See, the Israelites called out of Egypt, led out of Egypt through the wilderness and they wander to a place where the Egyptians are walking or are, are marching behind them they're on their heels and they get cornered against this place in the Red Sea and their first response was is huh, were there not enough graves in Egypt for us that we needed to get killed out here in the wilderness thank you God for leading us to this point And they lost hope because they didn't see a way out in their own understanding. I'll often say this. Faith doesn't start in our lives until our resources run out. Because so often, especially in this Western civilization that we live in, We don't need God enough to not rely on our resources. So when we have the answers or when we can see the answers, we'll always rely on our own understanding. But faith doesn't start until we've used all of our resources. We have this moment where the Israelites could run through the wilderness all they wanted. They didn't technically need God until they got cornered. And you have this moment where they cry out to God Well, the Israelites cry out complaining to Moses. And Moses probably cries out to God. <laughs> but the Egyptians are bearing down on them. The Israelites are scared. In fact, they're panicked. And when Moses hears from God, God gives this simple instruction. He tells the Israelites to go forward. What does that even mean? There's there's a, there's there's a body of water there. And this is where, like, Heidi and I get one of our, our, our core values in life, right? One of our core values in life is, is no matter what the circumstances are, we're committed to moving forward. Sometimes that pace is a lot slower than I'd like it to be, but I'm committed to moving forward towards what God has called me to do, even to the point of walking into an uncertain, unknown, where... It looks like death. But there was an action point for the Israelites. God told them to move forward. And he told Moses to raise his staff. That's an extremely vague description. And yet it took faith in God to move forward to raise that staff. You guys don't understand just how much of an active faith it is sometimes to move forward, even if it's a crawl. We've all had those days, those weeks, those months, those years where moving forward just doesn't even seem possible. That's an act of faith. Nehemiah Receives bad news. He doesn't respond by crying for an hour. He responds by crying, praying, fasting for days. Days. And then he turns that days into months of prayer and fasting and planning. Because if you remember right, when we were talking about Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1 happened in November or December. The month of the season or whatever calendar thing they're talking about here of Nisan, not the Pathfinder, was in March or April. So he would have gone from hearing bad news around Thanksgiving to doing something about it around Easter. Think about that for a minute. In that time, he was praying. He was seeking God. He was planning. He was hearing from God because he needed to know how to act because God had called him to do something. You know how I know that? His prayers reflected the word of God. His prayers reflected what God had already promised. His prayers reflected that which God had said he would do. And not that which he was feeling. So, for four months, Nehemiah wasn't just praying before he went to the king, he was planning. Come on, we need to be a people who pray, but we also hear from God enough to be able to plan. And guess what? When you get to that place in your life, it's scary. I've come out of some of my quiet times with the Lord scared to death at what I heard because he's given me such specific things that I feel like if I were to admit some of those things out loud that people would think I'm crazy. But then I hear those things and I look back and I see those things come true. And I've seen God's provision. I've seen his sovereignty through it. I've seen the reminders of those things that I knew that I heard 10 years ago came to pass 10 years later. And I go, okay. It was crazy then. It's not so crazy now. So maybe this crazy thing I'm hearing now isn't as crazy as I think it is. So I can start to work towards it because God said it. And after praying for four months, Nehemiah understood a moment when God gave him The opportunity to move to action. And it's funny that after praying for four months, he knew that the ask was beyond him. So when the king asked him what was wrong, instead of kicking him out of his courts, the king asked him what was wrong. In chapter 2, verses 4, you see it says, I prayed to the God of heaven. Even in that moment, Nehemiah understood that he needed the Spirit of God to guide him. This was the moment. God, I don't want to miss the moment. So won't you lead me? Won't you guide me? Won't your Holy Spirit be upon me in order to make this ask to the king of Persia? Listen, I hear a lot of people talking about wanting to have some public prayer power, right? You want to pray, you want to see miracles happen. You want to be able to prophesy, and you want to see people's lives change. You want to be able to share the gospel and have people receive the gospel. And these these public gifts of faith, these public gifts of the Spirit, people want to see those manifest in their lives. But those things don't manifest from lives of people who don't have a private prayer life. Because a private prayer life will lead to public manifestations and miracles. Nehemiah had a private prayer life. For four to five months, Nehemiah has been praying about this manifestation of the Holy Spirit that will allow him to go rebuild a city and fulfill the promises of God. I'm convinced that if Nehemiah had just gone to the king the next day, he wouldn't have been prayed up enough. He wouldn't have had the influence that he needed. He wouldn't have had that spiritual power that he needed. He wouldn't have had the sensitivity to the spirit. He wouldn't have had the ability to see God move the way God had moved. But so many of us, we don't want to take the time to sow the seed, to water the seed, to cultivate the soil, to do the spiritual work that it takes to see the manifest power of the Holy Spirit. Because we live in our social media world where we want it and we want it now. For most of us, we're too impatient for a vending machine anymore. Remember this, those who love God, love his word enough to know it, and love his kingdom enough to do their part in building it. Nehemiah 1 11. After Nehemiah had been asking the Lord and pleading with the Lord and repenting to the Lord and praying and fasting, he asked that the Lord would have compassion on him in the presence of the king. We also have to take in mind that consistency reveals character. And in some circumstances, a lack of character. But Nehemiah showed up every day with the right countenance. He showed up every day with the right attitude. He showed up every day and served the king well. He was the cupbearer, which meant he had to be the most trustworthy person in the room. Because the most common way of assassination of a king was through poison. It was the only way to get in his presence. And if the cupbearer was faulty, the king's life was in danger. Every day he proved that he was trustworthy. Every day he proved that he could do his job. Every day he understood the people around him were trustworthy enough for them to bring food into his presence, for them to be able to come into the presence of the king. He had to manage that. He is the king's number one bodyguard at that point in time. If somebody were to assassinate the king, it would have been through the hands of Nehemiah. And he has proved each and every day to be consistent, to be jovial, to have the right attitude, to have the right presence, to have the right countenance to the point to where even now the king recognizes something is wrong in Nehemiah's life. He's done his job so well that the king empathizes with him. Clearly there's relationship there. There's trust and even a genuine, heartfelt concern. That's not common for kings in that time. And I can with full certainty guarantee you, this is the first time Nehemiah has broken court etiquette with the king. His consistency had shown him to be trustworthy. And it showed that he was a man Of character listen too often in our lives we fall prey to watching or keying in on people's potential and how we judge them or how we interact with them or with what kind of responsibility we give them and I would encourage you to stop always only looking at potential and what it could be but also keep an eye on patterns The patterns in your life will show where you're consistent and also where your character is. For far too often, we ignore patterns of neglect because we see potential. We ignore patterns of cutting corners because we see potential. We ignore patterns of manipulation. We ignore patterns of dishonesty. We overlook all of those clear character flaw patterns and then we also miss out when we on seeing patterns of kindness patterns of grace and gratitude patterns of love and even patterns of faithfulness but faithfulness opens doors for favor So often in our lives, we all want to have favor, right? I don't know about you, but I've I've been around some people. (laughs) Been around some people who just, no matter what happens, it's like they always land on their feet. They always have favor. They're always on top of of life. When, when, When things are happening, somehow they always find their way back to the top, like super easy and super quick. And sometimes I don't even understand. I'm like, God, what is going on that this person's life is all unicorns and glitter? Like, just, it just seems easy. And they just seem to walk in favor. And I remember complaining about that one time in my not-so-quiet time, clearly, And I remember the, the, the Holy Spirit just speaking to me and saying, You don't know where they've been faithful. You don't know how many times they've shown themselves faithful in little things. And my word says, When you're faithful with little, you'll be given much. And so often, I'm just seeing the cliff notes of their lives, the highlights. And I don't understand the hard work and dedication that they've had in their daily life, in those areas where faithfulness has been key. Favor is a funny thing. I I remember one time uh, a friend of mine, you know, we we were, we were, played a lot of basketball. And one game he got a a bunch of favorable bounces and I was really mad because I hate to lose. And he just laughed at me and said, favor ain't fair. And I was like, you're right, it's not. But it also doesn't have to be. It also doesn't have to be. God has shined down upon each and every one of us. He's given each and every one of us favor. Some of us have been faithful. And we continue to gain favor because of that. But the world will never see those gut-wrenching moments of faithfulness that it is taken to walk in that kind of favor. Let's look at this. Favor might be the most underrated aspect of your life. Because it flows from faithfulness. And faithfulness is often overlooked. Let me, let, let me, let me, uh, let me help you out. We don't praise faithfulness enough. We, we, don't, we don't talk about faithfulness enough in the church. We don't talk about faithfulness enough in life because oftentimes we're too busy living unfaithful lives. Ouch. So let's look at faithfulness instead of in, 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 the, um, in light of our faith in God, right? Let's look at faithfulness uh, under the microscope of marriage. How often does one have to be unfaithful in marriage for us to still have grace? Oh, it's really quiet. Oh, man. Think about this, though. There's some people in this room who've been married for quite a while, faithfully. But I guarantee you it would only take one moment of not being faithful to potentially abandon that marriage. And I'd love to step on some toes and pick on some people and ask them just how many moments of faithfulness they'd be willing to endure. But the fact of the matter is it get real uncomfortable in here really, really quick. But then on the flip side of that, when somebody wants to come and they want to talk to me about marriage struggles... I hear a lot about some of these little things that are just really annoying or really a struggle to get over in life. And you know what I don't hear about? The faithfulness of their spouse day in and day out. The little things that they do to care for one another. The nuances that they pick up. The areas of life where they make it easy the small steps towards a healthy relationship because right now this is the glaring weakness. We focus so much on somebody's weakness that we rarely give them credit for those areas of tried and true faithfulness. We're there each and every day sacrificing selflessly to make our lives better. I, for one, am so grateful for the faithfulness of my wife to continue to do some little things that I just don't even think of. Like it doesn't even register to me. Like managing the kids' calendar. I don't know, just tell me where to go and when to pick them up. I don't have a clue. It can only happen because she's awesome. Because I'm helpless. (laughs) And she's faithful. In managing specific areas of our lives where I am completely reliant on her, but yet in a moment of annoyance, I fail to give her credit for. Faithfulness is the most underrated aspect of your life. And what you need to understand is is every step of faith is an act of faithfulness. And every act of faithfulness is a step of faith. Because I'm sowing seeds into what God has in our future. I'm sowing seeds into what God has for me 10 years from now. I'm planting for a harvest that will come later in life and it'll probably look like favor. But it's not favor. It's fruit from God's Faithfulness. And my faithfulness in doing the next right thing. So often we're so caught up in instant gratification and we want to skip the process. Ten years from now, you're going to sacrifice a harvest. Ten years from now, you're going to wonder why. And if somebody were to take a microscope, they could look back and go, there's no faithfulness in this. You said you want it, but you didn't follow through. You skipped the process. Nehemiah didn't skip the process, he sought God in everything, in every detail, in our lives. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to try to land this plane quickly. I apologize. I like to talk. But in everything, Nehemiah was seeking to understand fullness. As I look through the details of what Nehemiah asked for from this king, I would have been scared to death to be sitting in those courts asking for those details but nehemiah understood based on four months of planning preparation and deep prayer exactly what he needed when the time came to answer the call of god because he was moved by god's spirit towards action and he was moved by god's word towards action but he understood the fullness And for most of us, we would have got that that moment in the king's courts where the king asks us what to do. And I think the temptation there is to lower expectations to something that feels a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more acceptable. And we lessen our eyes... To what we think is possible instead of holding it up to the standard of what God has called us to. And so, most of us, when the king asked what we need, we would have simply asked for permission to be absent. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna be able to do my job for a little while. Can can you just excuse me? How long's a little while? I I don't know, a few months maybe, I don't know. And then we would have been asking for an extension. And then we would have been asking for help. And then we would have been asking for this. And then we would have been asking for that. Because the first ask seemed to be too much. And so we just thought we were going to ask for enough to get by. One thing I have learned in my decades of faith is that I have to seek to understand the fullness of God, God didn't give us Jesus in part. Jesus paid the full price for my salvation. It's a big ask. Nehemiah goes into the presence of the king. My wife was super proud of him in this with every detail he asked for the time specific to the task because he knew what it would take he asked for the authorization to pass through areas where he was probably going to be arrested for being he said god i need i need that pass i need that hall pass right? You're a kid going to the, he had to use the restroom in the middle of class. You don't want to get caught. He needed that hall pass. And then he goes to a place where I don't know that I would have been able to ask. He asked for the materials. He said, King, I need access to this forest to be able to get the timber, to rebuild the temple, But I'm not just asking for the temple. I want to rebuild the city walls. I'm not just asking for the city walls. I'm also asking so that I can build the house where I'm staying. This is a huge ask. And Nehemiah prayed for months on months on months leading up to this ask because clearly he was building a house. If he needed to build a house, he was going to be there a while. But he didn't sell God's calling short in his life, he asked for everything in its fullness it probably seemed like too much for most of us. Most of us would have probably been like, oh, I could have cut this corner here, and I could have cut that corner there, and I could cut that budget there. I'm really good at cutting budgets. And we don't need that. We don't need that. I think we can get by without that. And I think some of us are trying to lessen the spiritual blow but we don't understand favor isn't fair. If the favor of God is upon you, ask in full. Seek to understand what his fullness is. If your prayer life doesn't scare you, you're not doing it right. If your expectations spiritually don't scare you, go back to the word of God and understand it better. Because there's so many circumstances where it is excessive. It is above and beyond. It is well more than enough. And it is flat out unreasonable. The Israelites left Egypt with all of their riches. They bankrupt a country, the most powerful one in the then known time. You don't think that they thought that was excessive? His favor isn't fair, but it flows from faithfulness Nehemiah needed the favor of God, but his faithfulness lined up with the ask that he was given. John 1 16 says, for from his fullness, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches and his glory, come on, the riches and his glory, not ours. My riches aren't very much, but according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's my prayer this morning. Every week as we go through the book of Nehemiah, you're going to be challenged to pray. You're going to be challenged to seek his presence. But don't do so in your own understanding. Seek to understand the fullness of God. Because if your prayers are his will, and if your prayers are his word, you will not be stopped. But we have to get past the place where our prayers are simply about us and what we want, and what our will is, and what we need, and what we think. And they have to get to the place where they are answering the call of God, and they are answering the promise of God, and they are answering the will of God. Because if our prayers are His word, and if our prayer are His will, and our desire is to serve Him well, we will not be stopped. And in my life, and in my prayer life where I find myself, God, what does your word say? Because your promises are yes and amen. And if my prayers are to see your kingdom advance, just like the prayers of Nehemiah were to see the city rebuilt, he called on a promise of God. He didn't have to settle for less in the presence of an earthly king because he had spent months in the presence of the King of Kings. Come on. The powers and principalities of this world have nothing against you. They have nothing that can stand up against the presence of the King of Kings. We have to seek contentment in Him, in His Word, and in His will. So seek contentment. Stop settling for complacency. Stop settling for good enough. Stop settling for less than. Stop settling for scraps off the table of the king of kings whose table is filled abundantly with more than enough He gave his best for you. Stop settling for just enough. This Sunday morning, don't leave here with just enough to get you through to next Sunday. Stop operating with this mindset where I'm going to fill up my cup and then I'm going to slowly ration it and pour it out through the week. Ask God that he would fill your cup to overflowing so that way you're weak as it's poured out. It's what's poured out of the top of your cup from overflowing and not coming from the bottom of your cup so that you need a refill next Sunday. We come together to lift up the name of Jesus to encourage one another, but you don't have to just get that here. Come ready. Come seeking fullness. Bring some audacious faith and allow God to do what only God can do. Would you stand with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, that challenges us that challenges our faith. God, may your Holy Spirit just speak to us right now. And for those in the room that are maybe sensing the need to expand their sales and allow your Your wind to move them further than they ever thought that they could. God, for those that need the encouragement, God, to know that their next step, no matter how small it is, is a huge step of faith as you've called them to move forward. God, encourage those in the room this morning to understand that that life of faithfulness that they've been living is not mundane, but it is a mighty act of faith day in and day out, moving forward and pushing your kingdom forward. God, may they not second guess their faithfulness. God, encourage your people this morning. And for those in the room that are heavy-hearted. And I pray that you give them peace. Give them rest. Give them joy. Give them joy. Give them joy. Overflowing in abundance and in full Not just enough to get through today, but in full. I felt like this morning, God was just impressing upon me. Jehovah Nisi. It's a name for God. And it's simply this, the Lord is my banner. And the significance of that statement is is we need to be able to to raise the banner of Christ over our lives as an identifier of his victory. And I'll even go as far as to say some of us, it's a white flag that says, God, I surrender. You're in this room and you haven't surrendered your heart to the Lord this morning. I want to give you that invitation because our victory in the king in the kingdom of heaven is in surrender it's not based on what we can do it's based on what he's already done and it's a free gift if you're in this place today and you need to say yes to jesus I just want to give you a simple opportunity to respond. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to embarrass them or anything. All I want to do is invite you to journey with us where we can help you grow in discipleship, where we can come alongside you and answer questions and pray with you as you understand the struggles of life. So with every head bow and every eye closed, I'm just gonna start working the room from my left to my right. As I work the room, just simply pick your head up, give me a head nod, that's all I'm asking for. And I just wanna know who I can help in their journey with Christ. So I'm gonna start from my left right now. If that's you, just go ahead and pick your head up. Move into the center, that's you. And as to my right, your left. Anybody over here? If you want to, after this, just casually talk to me. I want to be able to resource you. I want to be able to help you. I want to make sure we're following up with you. So God, we thank you for all of those, God, who want to take the next step with you. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you, the King of Kings, God, help us understand your fullness this week. God, may we be a people who doesn't settle for anything less than everything you have for us. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, hey, I just want to let you all know we love you. We care about you. We're here for you. We want to continue to seek God together so even today the worship team is going to allow for some time if you want to continue to worship they have one more song. if you if it's time for you to go feel free to be dismissed at this place uh, at this point in time. For those that are guests we're going to do um, our say hello lunch in the youth room we would love to meet you over there in the next 15 minutes. Thank you guys we love you have a wonderful week.